Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. We are in week three of our fresh sermon series, and we're immersing ourselves into the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. Do you have them memorized yet? Let's read them right now. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And today, we turn our attention to peace, something that we could all use right about now. And I feel like that's appropriate for every week of this sermon series. It is always something that we need right about now. But today is peace. What is peace? How do you describe peace? Some say that peace is the opposite of war or a state of tranquility. Still others believe that peace just isn't possible this side of the grave and a walk through a cemetery is to be among those who rest in peace. Perhaps for you, peace is a calm stillness that comes when the kids go to bed or when the bus takes them to school. What is real peace? How do we obtain this? When the Apostle Paul wrote about the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, he was, had two ideas in mind. He had the, the Hebrew idea of shalom, uh, which is well-being, prosperity, wholeness. It's throughout the Old Testament. He also had the, the Greek word irini. It means harmony or tranquility or safety, peace between individuals or exemption from rage or havoc, war. This is not, this peace, this irini, is not just inner peace or peace within relationships or peace from violence or injustice. Shalom and irini is all of those things. And the concept of peace is a big deal throughout the entire scriptures. And after Jesus had died, he was resurrected three days later and he visits his disciples in the upper room. Check out what John says in chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Luke's gospel says it this way in chapter 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. You see, Jesus has been dead for three days. Uh, and the disciples are losing their minds. The ones that they have given up everything to follow has been crucified by Rome. What's next for them? How are they to go on? All of their inner being is in chaos and turmoil. Their hearts are in shambles. And then Jesus appears with them in the upper room and he says, peace be with you. Jesus had three and a half days to think about what were the first words he was going to say to his disciples when he shows up in that upper room. He could have said something like, psych. That was a word we used to say when I was growing up. Psych means just, just kidding, pretend, I'm back. Or he could have said YOLO. 
uh, just kidding, right? Like he didn't just live once, he lived twice. He could have said all these things, but no, what Jesus said to the disciples 2,000 years ago is what he says to us now. Peace be with you. Peace to you comes before the Great Commission, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the explanation of the scriptures. The risen Christ begins with peace. Peace comes first. And so today we are gonna turn our attention to Shalom, uh, Irini, peace. Peace as a state of mind, peace as a principle to govern our relationships, peace in the midst of conflict, and peace that we receive from Jesus. We don't often like to think of war uh, or even think about war unless we're on the brink of it, which we just might be. War is awful and in war, everybody loses. And war and conflict is something that we have in common with the ancient biblical audience. Since 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there has been 14,351 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed, and the value of property destroyed would pay for a golden belt around the world 100 miles wide and 50 feet thick. And those are just the wars that we know about that are documented. Leighton Ford said that the wars that rage within the world are a reflection of the wars that rage inside of people. I think I agree. The New Testament Christians lived in a world of constant conflict and violence and war. We too live in a world of conflict and violence. What is the role of the Christ follower? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You are blessed if you are a peacemaker. You will be called children of God. But aren't we all God's children? Well, yes, but Jesus is saying something different here. He's saying that people, the people who are witnessing Christians being peacemakers, those are the people that are going to say they're a child of God. It's like when uh, Ivy, my daughter, was a baby. And she was, she was round, and she didn't have a lot of hair, much like myself. And I'd be holding her in a store, and a stranger would go up to her because she's the cutest thing they ever did see. And they would say, you look just like your daddy. Peacemakers are called children of God because they resemble their father. There's a family resemblance, so they're called children of God. When you are a peacemaker, when you bring about peace, in a certain situation or conflict or a relationship, you look like your dad. You look like God. In your life, are you a peacemaker or a pot stirrer? In your office, are you a peacemaker or a pot stirrer? You know the phrase, right? Uh, pot stirrer, uh, you picture a pot or a stew and all of the ingredients have kind of settled down at the bottom, out of sight, until it is stirred and the ingredients all rise to the surface. Metaphorically for us, a lot of issues or resentments or obligations can drop out of sight when nobody mentions them. But then one can stir the pot and bring them all up, sometimes with malice, right? In your office, are you a peacemaker or a pot stirrer? In your home, are you a peacemaker or a pot stirrer? Do you enjoy seeing how people respond to other people's successes or failures? Do you often bring up sensitive issues in public to gauge people's responses? You might be a pot stirrer. You see, becoming people of peace 
isn't just about de-escalating violence. It's also about de-escalating conflict. Internal conflict and external conflict. In the first century, when Jesus and Paul pointed to being people of peace, they weren't referring to that pot stir in the office that says, hey, thanks a lot, Biden, for those gas prices, and then walks away. No, no. Israel was oppressed by the Romans. Rome was killing people. They didn't have to think very hard who was their enemy. Uh, Christian peacemaking in the early centuries was, wasn't about pot stirring or gossip. It was about actually loving the people oppressing you, the people using violence to hurt you, showing love to people who are hurting you, who are torturing you. Did you know that one of the most striking and scandalous aspects of the early Christians was their love of enemies? They refused to use violence to retaliate. They would sacrifice their lives for the people who are hurting them. And this scandalous love, this sacrificial love, is what drew people to Jesus in the early centuries. Their Messiah died on a cross, forgiving the ones crucifying him with his last dying breath. And so these early Christians did the same. And that kind of love can change the world. And the church seems to have lost that power once it gained power. Uh, it is under the Emperor Constantine where the cross and the sword uh, were married together. When the, the, when the Roman Emperor became a Christian and made it cool to be a Christian, uh, Christians became the ones in power. He Christianized the Roman Empire and the church seems to have lost the power of enemy love when they gained the power of the sword. And once the church had power over enemies, there was no need to love their enemies. Once the church could kill their enemies, there was no longer a need to die for their enemies. And the church seems to have lost that for, for roughly 1,200 years. And then 1,200 years later, there arose a group of Christians called Anabaptists, and they refused to retaliate against their enemies. And they began to love once again. And there was a Dutch Anabaptist named Dirk Willems. He was arrested for disagreeing with the powerful religious Christians of his day. And he was placed in a tower, okay? Think those movies where you're put into this stone tower in Europe where it's cold and freezing. And he's put in a dungeon at the top and it was winter in Europe. And there was this large castle where, which Dirk Willems was placed. And he was given rations every day and he fasted those rations and therefore lost a ton of weight. And uh, he lost weight rapidly. And then Dirk Willems tied rags and clothes together to make a rope to climb out of the castle. When he hit the ground, he made a dash to the lake. While being pursued uh, by a guard, he ran on top of a frozen lake. And because his body was so emaciated and thin and barren, the ice did not break beneath him. But as the guard pursued him with his heavy armor on, he fell through the ice. Dirk Willems turns around and rescues his oppressor, rescues his captor. He is then arrested, tortured, and killed for his faith. It is said that the guard repented of his actions and was changed. And the word spread of Willem's sacrificial love, and it spread to the land even to this day. You can visit a sculpture dedicated to Dirk Willems in Manitoba, Canada. I believe 
Like the Christians under Constantine, we too have lost the plot. We too trust in power over others instead of power under others. This isn't only about violence and war. It plays itself out in lots of ways, in subtle ways within our lives, and we don't even realize it. I read a story of a despondent woman who was walking along the beach and she saw a bottle in the sand. She picked it up, pulled off the cork, and whoosh, big smoke comes out and his giant genie arises. And the genie says, you've released me from my prison. To show my gratitude, I will grant you three wishes, but take care, take great care. For each wish you make, your mate will receive a double portion. And she says, no, I don't want that. My husband left me for another woman. And he says, I'm sorry, this is how it's written. And so she thinks for a second and she says, I would like a million dollars. And boom, a million dollars shows up at her feet. And somewhere in a distant land, there's a flash of light and the wayward husband has twice as much money as she does. And the genie says, and your second wish. She says, genie, I want a beautiful diamond necklace. And whoosh, she had this beautiful bling bling diamond necklace on. And somewhere where her husband was, he was looking for the nearest pawn shop to sell the beautiful priceless jewels that he was surrounded by. The woman said to the genie, genie, is it true that my husband has $2 million and more expensive jewels than I bear? And that he gets double everything that I receive. And the genie says, it is so. And the woman says, well, genie, I'm ready for my final wish. I want you to scare me half to death. We love stories like that where someone gets revenge. We love movies like that where someone gets revenge. Years ago, I saw this headline while scrolling through Facebook, gun that collects and freezes your tears so that you can shoot them at the one who hurt you. Okay, this is true. A woman in Taiwan actually invented this. The user first puts, puts on the mask with a silicone cup that catches your tears. The tears are then frozen in a bottle, loaded into the gun, allowing your frozen tears to be fired at your enemies. This is a real thing. We all wanna get the last word. We all want our enemies to get what's coming to them. And that is natural, that is understandable. It's just not Christian. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. There's no peace in that. We're not being the peacemakers we're called to be in that instant, in those circumstances. Check your heart. You don't have inner peace right now? What conflict, what bitterness, what unforgiveness are you holding on to that Jesus says, release it, be the peacemaker, be my child, look like your dad. Revenge is not in sync with the fruit of the spirit, which is peace. First Thessalonians 5, live in peace with each other. Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Come on, make every effort to live at peace with, with all men? How about some? How about most? I don't think it's asking too much, right? God, you don't know who I work with. You don't know who my relatives are. You don't know who I'm married to. I don't know what it is for you. But God says, or who it is for you. But God says, make every effort to live at peace with all men, and yes, that includes all women. There's an old Jewish fable called the Messiah is among you. 
It goes like this. There was once an old stone monastery tucked away in a picturesque forest. Many people would make significant detour uh, to go and visit this beautiful monastery, known for its peaceful spirit, a place of healing for the soul. In recent years, however, fewer and fewer people were making their way to the monastery. See, the monks had grown jealous and petty in their relationships with one another. Their animosity was felt by those who visited. The abbot of the monastery was so distressed by what was happening, so he poured out his heart to his great friend, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was an old, wise Jewish rabbi. And having heard the abbot's tale of woe, he asked if he could offer a suggestion. And he said, please do. Anything that you can offer, please help us. And Jeremiah said that he had received a vision, a very important vision, a very spiritual vision, in which it was told of him that the Messiah was among their ranks at the monastery. And the abbot was flabbergasted. Someone among us is the Messiah? Who could it be? He knew he wasn't himself, but who was it? So he raced back to the mon monastery, shared the exciting news with everybody there, and the monks grew silent as they looked into each other's faces, knowing that one of them was the promised Messiah. And from that day on, the monastery changed. Joseph and Ivan started talking again, neither wanting to be guilty of sliding the Messiah. Pierre and Naboo left behind their, their anger and sought each other's forgiveness. The monks began serving each other, looking for opportunities to help, to bless, to forgive, and to heal when offense had been given. As one traveler and then another discovered the new sense at the monastery, word soon spread about the remarkable spirit of peace. People once again took the journey and find themselves renewed and transformed, all because those monks knew that the Messiah was among them. The Messiah is among you. He dwells in your house. He lives within your community. Uh, he works at your office. The person you can't stand and the person that can't stand you. What if scandalous love was the key to peace? It is always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. I know it may not seem that way, but it is always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Becoming a person of peace in a world of conflict is radically difficult. Do you agree? There's a story told of a woman who longed for peace. She wanted peace in the world, but more so and more prevalent, she wanted peace in her own heart and life. The world seemed to be falling apart. She would read the papers, she would get depressed. One day she decided to go shopping. She went to a mall and she picked a store at random. She walked in and she was surprised to see behind the counter, Jesus. She knew it was Jesus because he, he looked just like the pictures she had seen in all the holy cards growing up. She finally got the nerve to ask, excuse me, sir, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. She says, do you work here? He says, well, no, I, I own the store. And she said, well, what do you sell? And he says, everything. Feel free to walk up and down the aisles, make a list, write them down, come back and we'll see what we can do for you. 
And she did just that. She walked up and down the aisles and there was for sale, peace on earth, no more war, no hunger, no poverty, peace in families, no more drugs, harmony, clean air, careful use of resources. She wrote down furiously. By the time she got back to the counter, she had a long list. Jesus took the list, skimmed through it, looked at her and smiled. And he said, no problem. Bent down behind the counter, picked out all sorts of things, stood up and laid out several packets. And she asked, what are these? And he said, these are seed packets. This is a catalog store. She said, what do you mean? I don't get the finished product. And he said, no, this is a place of dreams. You come and you see what, what, what it looks like. I give you the seeds. You plant the seeds. You go home and nurture them, help them grow, and someone else reaps the benefit. She said, oh, and she left the store without buying anything. Peace is something that must be nurtured for it to take root in our lives. You've got to plant it. You've got to water it. It needs to bask in the glory of the sun. Jesus offers peace. It takes work. Look what Paul writes elsewhere about this concept of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you. That is my prayer for you right now. You who are listening in Iowa, in Virginia, in Ohio, in Ireland. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. And for those close here in California. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, the Lord be with you all. This is that inner peace. This is shalom and irini, an inner peace, a peace among relationships and a peace that makes its way into the injustices of this world in Jesus' name. In front of the RCA building in New York City, there is a famous sculpture called Atlas. It is of this beautiful, muscular man bearing the weight of the world, using all of his might and all of his muscles flexing to carry the weight and just barely being able to do so. And across the street, it's St. Anthony's Cathedral. There is a porcelain sculpture of the little baby Jesus holding the whole world in his hands. Do you want this kind of peace? Do you want the supernatural peace that transcends understanding? You see, peace, Irini, is peace in society, peace amidst conflict, and also this inner peace. Is it possible we lack inner peace because the conflicts within us and around us? Let's be peacemakers. Horatio Spafford once wrote many years ago, when peace like a river attends my way. The next 70 seconds, I want to encourage you to have a posture of stillness. Would you still your heart, soul, and mind for the next 70 seconds and reflect on what maybe God has to say to you about this fruit of the Spirit, which is peace today. See if you can do this, because our default is to shut off the video, to turn off the podcast, and go to the next thing. For 70 seconds, 
dwell on the person of Jesus and what he might be saying to you right now. Thanks so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Grace and peace. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say It is well It is.